Support this podcast by buying a copy of the book, The Raven Throne, available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, and Apple. It's also available in paperback. Email me at podcast at ericedstrom.com. And please leave a five-star review wherever you get your podcast. Chapter 8. Unquestionably a Merculin. One good thing about the Durslin wheel was that Ollie's presence had faded to a mere itch in Kyla's mind, and that made her curious about what this place was, where it was. She had been reclined against the handcart and watching the lantern flame flicker for a while, and now she was bored. She stood and stretched. She approached the nearest column, instinctively avoiding the domain summoning stones Marlowe had left out. Symbols were carved into a flat section cut into the face of each column. The one before her was familiar to her. Three diagonal slashes, starting from the upper left. She had added to their glow once before and had ended up on the floor. Marlowe called this place a Durslin wheel. She should have asked him what it was. Maybe when they weren't planning some stupid caper with a domain, or to kill the Hargath, or to steal a thousand dragon scales, she would remember to do so. With her queller in Marlowe's hands and him off to wherever he was, the Mercus was a constant presence. It took nothing to bring the Mercus glow to the symbols around her. The silvery light of the unknown alloy grew and sparked into existence all around showing even more columns out of range of the lantern light. She cocked her head and allowed the slashes to fill her vision. The trick with the Mercus was not to name anything she sensed. Not slashes, not lines, not a column, not a glow. In the realm of the Mercusine, names placed a barrier between the sensing of a thing and the knowing of it. The glow intensified the more she relaxed, It took on dimension, became a cloud of light streaked with blue and swirling with indigo. Sparks of white peppered the field of glow. Kyla moved closer, bringing her eyes within an inch of the column. The sound surrounding her was no longer the usual bell tone of metal. It deepened and separated into constituent noises. At first a hush wind through trees, but then growing into the roll and crash of the surf. Salt air wafted over her face, moving her hair and embracing her with balmy warmth. She closed her eyes, enjoying the marvelous cleanliness of the breeze. Her bare toes wriggled, no longer feeling the cold tile beneath her, but now damp sand. Surprised, she opened her eyes and cursed on a long outbreath, kills teeth. She stood on a sandy beach, an endless ocean spreading before her. Far out, A great beast of the depths broke the surface to arc and dive, its undulating body following in a slow slide until a forked tail splashed into the air before slipping from view. Panic rose in her, making her shoulders climb to her ears. She turned and sighed with relief to see a doorway leading to the dark cavern of the Durslin Wheel. She stepped back into the relative cool of the chamber. The portal remained open. Kyla's body thrummed with the Mercus. She went through again, stretching her arms to let the freshening breeze sweep over her. She laughed and turned her face to the sky. She screamed at the sight of death swooping toward her. A dragon. She backpedaled until she fell through the portal. 
Her elbows rang with pain as they struck the floor. A shadow occluded the doorway and then was gone. Kyla's grip on the Mercus faltered, and the door hazed over with white and vanished. Kill be a merry maiden! That was what Kyla was thinking, but she hadn't said it. Marlowe had. He stood behind her, a heavy bag slung over one shoulder. His mouth had dropped open and his lips moved as he struggled to form more words. He dropped the bag and went to the column. Pressing his hands to the symbol, he leaned his forehead against the fluted section above. His shoulders sagged and he slowly turned back to face Kyla, shaking his head. She still sat on the floor, exhausted and a bit shaken. She pointed at the column. Dragon, I nearly got eaten. Is that what the shadow was? I couldn't tell. Thanks be to the triumvirate that it could not pass through the portal. How did you manage to open it? She shrugged. I just listened to it. Marlowe swallowed. He looked more shaken than when she'd burned his finger with his own metal ring. What you just did? Let me guess. It hasn't been done in an age, and even then it took two hundred donesmasters and a fishmonger to do. Marlowe stammered and then laughed. He offered her a hand to stand. She took it. The fishmonger was just there in case something went wrong, he said. Now Kyla laughed. I wasn't trying to do anything. I was just curious. I've been studying these columns for a tenure, and I haven't seen so much as a spark from any of them. Pity none of them lead to the Eyrie. Where do they lead? She was after dragon scales, not entire dragons. Even so, she wouldn't mind spending an hour more on that beach. It had seemed so peaceful, so clean. The kind of place she would be able to take a nap and wake up rejuvenated. Marlowe began pulling items from the bag. The first was a parka. Seahound skin. Try it on. While Kyla stuffed her arms into the thick, fur-lined sleeves of the parka, Marlowe pulled out boots, stockings, a fur hat, and a leather backpack. Perfect for carrying a heavy load while keeping your hands free. To fight? I thought you said the fell guard relies on assumptions to guard the Eyrie. And are you going to answer my question about where that portal leads? I cannot answer it. I don't know. Until now, I didn't know if they opened portals or merely concentrated power to accomplish Marcus feats inside the circle. Was that a beach I saw? Kyla plopped onto the floor and eyed the stockings with skepticism. She had never worn any before. Her feet were calloused, tough, and nearly black with filth. She didn't trust the boots to give her feet and toes the grip she needed to walk, much less to climb the airy stair. Marlowe noted her hesitation. You might be surprised, Kyla. The stockings are wool. They will keep you warm even if soaked through. The boots are lined with wool, then atlin skin for comfort and fit. The outer is seahound to ward against water. You will thank me when you reach the Eyrie. Kyla drew on the stockings, grimacing as the fabric entombed her skin. The boots felt like huge lumps of numbness. She walked around in them and found it impossible to do her thieves' step technique. I hope there's nobody up there. I'll sound like a trezzed-up clogger approaching in these. Yes, yes, never mind that. If a fell guardsman stops you, you can ash him with a thought. Kyla bit her lip. 
Marlowe might be right, or she might fail to so much as warm his belt buckle. But the truth she didn't want to admit to this man was that she didn't want to ash anybody, except maybe his brother. Marlowe rubbed his hands together and took her in. Now, on to the training. Masking is really quite simple in concept, though it requires a constant effort to maintain. That last bit is why I don't leave this place unquelled. My powers are great compared to most, but compared to you, my powers are like a flash taper in the wind. He removed Kyla's queller ring from his finger and put it in a pocket. Have you learned to feel the mercosine within others yet? No. He made a face. Did the voluptuary teach you anything? I was busy. He shook his head in disgust. Wasted potential is a finger in Till's eye. Whatever you were doing with that column, do that to me. Simply look at me without naming. Allow my mercosine potential to reveal itself. Kyla shrugged out of the parka and tossed it to the floor. She took position in front of Marlowe and looked at his forehead. She thought she'd laugh if she looked in his eyes. The whole thing felt weirdly intimate, and she didn't like it one bit. Relax, Marlowe ordered. He closed his eyes, which removed a distraction. Letting her vision relax, she allowed her mind to fall into the subtle realm of the unnamed. Her senses again opened to all that lay around her. She raised an eyebrow when she discovered Marlowe had acquired a blade of his own while he was away. It was steel, finely wrought, and secured beneath his robes. She suspected a hole had been cut in that pocket to allow him to withdraw the blade at need. His blood glowed dully, concentrated at his heart. But his whole body had another glow, this one fainter, less made of light as it was of haze. Kyla put her attention on this. Yes, you feel it. Marla opened his eyes. That is what the Hargath feels when he searches you out. It is this potential that you must learn to mask in yourself. Abruptly, the Mercus vanished from Marlowe. He grinned and made a slight bow. Tension drew his eyes tight, and his smile returned to a grimace. That's all I can manage. The Mercus haze returned to engulf him. It seemed fainter now, but Kyla didn't know if that was because he'd expended so much effort at masking himself, or if she had grown distracted enough to lose focus. And you want me to do that the entire time we're out there? Yes. Just remember, if you lose the mask, you will be a beacon to the Hargath. But for him to come to the Eyrie to collect you would not be a simple task. No Don'tsmaster has dimensed in five generations. Speaking of which, if you learn that trick, you must show me. I've read every scrap on the topic, and I have not dared to try it. If one makes the slightest error, the results are usually quite gruesome. A person arrives at their destination to find their feet embedded in the pavement, or they appear a thousand feet in the air and plunge to their death. He was talking about what the domain flaumish deck could do. Disappear in Mercus Green. She had enough to focus on now, and as useful as dimensing might be, she would rather not kill herself. Her feet had never failed her yet. Masking is not about quelling, he said. In fact, a queller pulls a constant flow of mercus from the wearer. 
It isn't much, but it provides power to the relic. One particularly weak in the Marcus might be terribly harmed by wearing one. So I have to use Marcus to hide it. How? If you'd accepted any of the voluptuary's training, you would know of the concept of the bolt. He clasped his hands behind his back and began to pace. Chin tucked, he lectured. A bolt is a combination of sensual energies. Bolts can be of a single sense, like sight, or it can include all twelve of the senses in a single burst. Twelve? Do you have extra eyeballs and ear holes? He made a face. I see this lesson will be supremely remedial. There are the five senses of the flesh, one of intuition, and six of the domainic realms. Those last ones are not generally accessible without first employing bolts of the first five. You need not concern yourself about them. I suspect your higher feats are tapping into those senses without your awareness. When masking, we prepare bolts of clear opposites. For example, with light, we deploy shadow. With sweet, we counter with bitter, smooth, rough, the perfume of the lilac, with the reek of rotting rats. And finally, for sound, we bring forth the same tone twice and slip it. Marlowe acknowledged her incomprehension by clicking his tongue. I am well enough rested to demonstrate sound slip, I suppose. He took a slow, deep breath and brought forth a high-pitched ringing, like a little glass bell whose ring never faded. Now the slip. Another pulse of the same tone sounded, so that the air to both sides of Kyla's head was shimmering with sound. Moreover, she saw the Mercosine waves as they appeared. They moved and undulated like the great sea beast she had seen through the portal. The waves were mirrors of each other, and then slid to become exact opposites. And it was at the moment they aligned in this fashion, the sound stopped. And yet, they were there. I can still see the Mercus haze around you, she said. That's because I masked only sound. To mask all of my Mercusine potential requires that the first six senses be masked simultaneously. Hence the concept of the bolt. These combinations are difficult at first, but with practice they come forth as freely and effortlessly as your swearing does. Attempt to try it with light first. Kyla didn't even know how to make light, and her perplexed blinking made Dun Marlow offer a curse of his own. Merely see the light you wish to produce, he said. Really? For you it should be easier than spitting. Kyla supposed it was the same as when she added to the glow of metal. It wasn't something she did so much as desired. It was an intention to add something. She held up a finger and focused on adding light to it. At first a glimmer appeared and faded. It was hot. She instinctively removed heat. Two tricks at once, Marlowe said. You truly are a show-off. Kyla didn't pay attention to the man. He was always saying something or other that had no relevance to her. The light appeared on her index finger, a bluish-white flare of light that cast sharp shadows behind Marlowe and turned his fail a pale, sickly blue. Now, add dark to it, he commanded. The phrase, add dark, confused her. 
How does one make something that is itself an absence? But the mere question provided an answer. She sought to remove light from the light she'd created. Both flows came as easily as sipping tea. The light went out, but she could still feel the Mercus powering both. The order matters, she said absently. Kill and Merrill had a cow, Marlowe swore, then gaped at her. I was setting you up to fail, and you figured out the trick before I could gloat. Go on, add smell. The senses that carry are the first you must mask. Taste can go last. The senses fell to Kyla's efforts one after the other. Maintaining each pair of negations didn't require any effort at all. Kyla wondered what the worry was all about. This is easy. Marla looked as if he'd swallowed a groanberry, but he motioned for her to continue. Now that she'd spoiled his fun, he was impatient for it to be over. When Kyla had at last masked all five, he nodded in grouchy approval. Well done, ho-hum. I see that you will be an annoying student. You have no idea how many years of study it took me to learn that skill, and I can maintain it for a few seconds, maybe minutes if I had the right kind of heller. But you just throw bolts into existence and wonder if it's time for supper. Well, now that you mention it, I never did eat any of your food. I could use a biscuit and a slug of ale. She found the Mercus flows to be much less heavy than the effort required to heat up metal. She walked in a circle, did a little spin, squatted, drew cane, and threw it through a series of tricks. Her last toss went awry and she dropped the blade. It went skittering into the dark. She retrieved it and returned to sit with Marlowe by the lantern. He had dug out a couple of apples and set up two teacups. He removed a flask from his person and poured a two-finger measure into each. He raised his cup. To kill's daughter and her frightful friends. Kyla took the cup, sniffed. Trez, and not the cheap watered-down swill they served in cheapskate taverns. Not that she was much of an expert. Father had always warned about Trez. Kyla didn't like the effects. Or the taste. She clinked cups with Marlowe and threw back the liquor. It went down smooth and hot. Once she'd recovered from a coughing fit, she leaned back and observed her own effortless Mercus feet. There was something familiar about what Marlowe was calling a bolt. When I healed your brother, the senses came together like this. Some negated, I think, but others required... I don't know the right word. Like when certain colors are pleasing together, or when two singers float up different notes that mesh. The word you seek is harmonize, and it is a fundamental concept of the higher Mercus feats. Such sensual expressions are much more difficult than the negations required for masking. That was, that was interesting. She had once watched Flaumishdak heal Ragen. He'd brought forth dozens of subtle energies, leaving her befuddled and entranced. That marked the first time she'd ever been truly interested in learning the Mercusine arts. Hey, I am a Merculin, she said. Just like Phyllis the Red. Marlowe snorted. You are nothing like that old crone. But to the main point you're making, I concur. You are unquestionably a Merculin. And as such, you have great responsibility. As you grow in your abilities, fewer will be able to stand against you. He looked into his empty cup. 
and the lure of ever greater power will tempt you, says the man who dabbles in demancy. Bah! What does a little more darkness matter in this world? he asked. That he had sought to excuse his actions did not make sense. Kyla shrugged. She'd not point the shaky finger of righteous outrage at him. After all, she robbed men for coin. Marlowe set his cup aside. My point is that your course and my brother's may start from very different places, but the pull of the Marcosine may draw you toward the same destination. No child is born a despot. The decay of mind and morals is as gradual as the procession of the hours. Be mindful of what you desire. She grunted. I only want one thing. Nax. Then I'm leaving Starside forever. Which brings us back to your beloved one. Shall we go to the Citadel? We shall, she said in her best Grissonside snob tongue. She collected her seahound parka and backpack. They began walking to the cellar, moving through a shapeless blackness of the other realm cavern. If we ever return here, she said, I'll show you how I opened that portal. Surprisingly, Marlowe said nothing. His face was set like a man walking to his doom.